What's up and welcome to the Active Amputee Podcast. Everything people with a limb difference need to live an active and exciting lifestyle. I'm Bjorn Eser, the founder of and shaker and maker behind the Active Amputee. And today you're listening to episode number 41. Episode number 41 is an interview with someone from Click Medical again. Yes, one of my favorite companies. Today I have the pleasure of talking with Jen Howland. This interview was recorded during a live session in Duderstadt in Germany. And as you will see in a minute, this interview is a bit different from what I normally do. It was a surprise to me too, but I really loved it. Thank you, Jen. Okay, here we go. Yes, Bjorn, I am turning the tables on you and interviewing you in your own podcast. That is great. Uh, it's actually the first time. I, I like that hands-on proactive approach of saying, I like the podcast idea, but it's me asking the questions and it's you answering. <laughs> Can I still introduce yourself? or Please, uh, me to introduce myself? Yeah. Yes. So today's idea was we have yet another podcast between the Active Amputee and Click Medical today with Jen. And Jen just decided that we're going to switch roles. So I just zip it and be quiet in terms of asking questions and just hand over to you. Jen, the show is all yours. Ah, thank you. Yes, I come from Click Medical, where we offer adjustability in kits for the world, for every uh, person who wears a prosthetic or orthotic device to have the ability to be empowered with adjustability within their device, with a turn of a dial. Which is great. I'm not the world, but I'm one of those users. Thank you very much. <laughs> you are welcome. It's not... Very often, I get a chance to actually spend time with a user. I spend a lot of time educating practitioners and technicians and distributors. What this is and the value of it is to people like yourself. So it's really exciting to be able to spend this time with you and really see the benefits and to hear your, your view of the world. So. Of the world. <laughs> yes, it's a, it's a bigger than adjustability. <laughs> Great. Yeah, I mean, people have been following the show, have been following my blog for some time. No, I like to be active. I'm a buff amputee. Uh, I'm an above knee amputee. There we go. And uh, I had my amputation in late 2005, so it's roughly 17, 18 years now. So I'm becoming an adult amputee now, <laughs> years wise. <laughs> In the first couple of years, I had no issues with socket fit whatsoever. I got into my socket in the morning, and it was just a skin skin on prosthesis, suction, donning aid, that's it. I put it on 7 o'clock in the morning, whatever, had my normal, I was fully working, I was doing things, and I took it off in the, in the evening, midnight, whatever, went to bed, that was it. That changed about seven years after my amputation. And here we're still talking the same prosthetist, so the same experienced team that built my sockets. Me being the same person, okay, a bit older, but otherwise still same active, nothing nothing changed. And suddenly I had really issues with the vacuum breaking, uh, the thing being way too tight in the morning, uh, hardly getting into my socket. And a couple of years, a couple of hours later, I could pull it off or actually had to flex my muscles so that it stays on even in normal day-to-day -day work. 
not even talking demanding hikes where you sweat a lot, where obviously there comes more more demands towards a well-fitting socket. And that's when we started looking for other options. First, just with a liner, then liner and seal in ring, liner, seal in ring, socks, you know, the whole shebang. And it still wasn't it. And so that's when I stumbled across adjustability and adjustable sockets. And in the wider world of prosthetic devices, that normally means click medical. <laughs> I hope it does. We, we, it, we for like... me, it did. <laughs> well, it sounds like adjustability has had a positive impact on your life. Can you tell me a little bit more, like specifically how, like in your day to day? I mean, for me, as I said, normally I have no issues in the morning hours. I get into my socket and the socket fits well. The the stump is still, let's say, full of fluid and, and rather well formed. So that's fine. It fits. But if I'm active, normally mid-morning, early noontime, it starts that I sometimes lose the vacuum or that I actually in the early days would have thought about taking it off, maybe putting some additional padding in the socket between the liner and my skin, putting it on again, that's fine. Very often this thing between, okay, sitting down, getting up, where while I'm active walking, where with every step you put additional weight on uh, the residual limb and pushing it back into the socket, no issues. But if you have these things like you're on public transport, you sit down, you turn around a bit, you turn over to someone and you do moves where there's movement of the residual limb within the socket, but without weight on it so that it suddenly is in a position that it shouldn't be in. <laughs> and if you then get up and think, oh, now actually it's doing pissing sounds and I have the feeling it's, oh, I actually have to flex the muscle that it stays on, which is at home, you just take it off, put it on again. But just getting off a train might be very entertaining to the world around you, but very often not the thing I want to do. <laughs> so that's where I think having the chance of just quickly tighten something or when you sit down saying well actually I had it really tight to get to the station because I don't know chucking some luggage and then say okay now it's more for comfort so let me just just loosen it a bit and I think that's where kind of this taking the user more serious and saying well it's your device it's your life <laughs> please within the range of what's medically possible and reasonable decide yourself on it's more comfort it's more tightness it's more really a tight fit for good placement for being active or it's couch potato mode just decide yourself mm -hmm. and doing that independently from being close to a prosthetist where you say well can you please pad it up can you please <laughs> remove that pad again can you please shorten this a bit and i think that's where the beauty of it all comes in mm -hmm. yeah well said. The the other thing I think is important that once you decide on on having this dial uh, at, for adjustability, where the dial goes and and how it functions and it integrates into your life. So if you're wearing tight clothes and you have the dial on the proximal, you know, and uh, you know, it, it, there's a whole bit of thinking about where the dial goes in and how it integrates into your life. And you had mentioned that before, and I think that's worth speaking about, thinking that through Yeah, with your prosthetist. I'm not worried about looks or anything. And I know that's different for other people. So for me, it's I want something that works, and that kind of function for me is the leading light. And then, obviously, if something is, uh, let's say, more convenient, or if something looks better one way or another, that is 
second or third leading light. Um, but I think very often you don't know until you actually try something. Like for me, the idea was, okay, I normally had my kind of the, the hole for the valve or for the donning eight. I had it just above where my knee used to be and then towards the inner side. That worked well for me. That's what I was used. So I thought, okay, let's put the dial just on the outside. More or less same height. That's where my hand can easily reach. No matter if I'm sitting, if I'm standing, that's fine. Let's just put it on the outside. I know it's a bit more cumbersome in terms of, you know, it rips your jeans apart easier and this, but I thought that makes perfect sense. Mm -hmm. And it does until you come home and notice, actually in our house where <laughs> there's a lot of stuff standing around and we have a staircase, uh, which is rather tight. And then we have uh, a narrow kitchen that you constantly actually hit against something and hitting against that part of the prosthesis, which is higher than the valve, means you're more likely to get stuck, you're more likely to actually destroy it, and you're more likely to actually open it unintentionally because you might hit it in a way that it actually releases. So you think, no, actually, it makes more sense having that more protected towards the inside but without knocking towards the other leg and at the same time then move the valve to the outside. So mm -hmm. I think that's something where you really need to play around and be clear what is more important to you. Like if you want to hide it a bit more, that it doesn't stick out that much, maybe you want to have it even lower, maybe you will have it more to the back. I mean, that's really something where play it through or make even one of those traditional pro and cons lists in your mind and say, for me, what is most important? Form, function, design, convenience, reachability, and think it through in terms of very often you want to use it when you're wearing clothes. I mean, it's easy when you're wearing shorts or when you're, I don't know, just put it on when you step out of the shower or something. But what does it mean when you're on public me uh, means? And you're probably wearing something where you cannot easily just roll up your <laughs> your very tight, skinny jeans or something. <laughs> think like, oh, maybe another placement would have been better. So just think it through. Sure. And then talk what's possible with your prosthesis. Not everything you want to do is possible. Exactly. That's important. They will guide you in that. One small note about the dial, and you had said if you knock it, uh, maybe it pops it out. We have a new dial coming out which doesn't have an in and out motion, just a bi-directional motion. So that would be something that wouldn't happen in the future. I just spoke with Jimmy yesterday. He told me about it and I had the chance to see it. I'm excited to actually give that a try in my next socket. Yes, uh, I hear about it. I, I see the potential of it, but you know me. I want to see it in action. <laughs> yeah, test I want it out. to see how it works when you actually use it day in, day out. What does it mean when there's maybe a little bit of dirt or so in there? But uh, it, it looks promising, I'll say. So the amputee, active amputee, and the whole I would say brand of it, which includes the website, the blogs, the podcast. What were you hoping for and how might it evolve in the future? That's a good question. Uh, let's, let's first probably look back. That's easier. <laughs> <laughs> the Active Amputee is a project which is basically a spin-off of another project which never materialized. I was living abroad quite a lot. And when I came back from my last posting abroad in 2007, I actually thought, no, 2009 it was, I wanted to set up a company which offers adventure opportunities, adventure holidays for people with limb differences or limb loss. And as a for-profit company, normal like a travel company. So I thought, oh, let me probably offer 
canyoning, climbing, uh, surfing, whatever adventure opportunities, weekends, week-long tours for people with limb differences. As I said, as a for-profit company. And I knew the market is rather small and I know there are quite a lot of charities which offer that for free. So I thought it might be a bit of a tricky setup, but I thought let's give it a try. At that time I was single, I had a bit of money in the bank. I thought I could try setting something up knowing it will not make any money in the first year and it's a matter of building it up. I was hoping to maybe recover some of the costs in the second year but not actually making money but then hopefully starting to actually get into a business in the third or fourth year. So far so good. Suddenly I was a father of three kids and the idea of being busy all day and developing something new which doesn't make any money in the first two or three years was just not an option. So I stuck with a normal job. And, but this idea of doing something around limb loss, amputation, creating communities, offering experiences was always at the back of my mind. And so in 2017, I think it was, I thought, okay, if this company, this adventure outdoor company is not an option anymore, at least not at that period in time, I thought, let's at least offer a resource page for people with limb loss. And for me, I saw a niche in between these purely personal blogs where I thought even if someone talks about his or her story and is a good writer, has an interesting story to tell, is willing to put a nice spin on it, a nice nice uh, angle on it, I had the feeling after some time these things get, and sorry for everyone I'm now probably offending, are getting boring after some time. I think it's too specific for me. And at the same time, we have these professional, the Amputee Coalition or Otto Bock or a Rehabilitation Center or the Veterans Association or whatever, where I think, yes, they're really good. They have lots of resources, but it's very impersonal. Impersonal? Unpersonal? Non-personal? In, you, impersonal. you know what I mean here. Uh-huh. Yeah. And I wanted to have something in between where people know there's one or two people behind it where I have the feeling I build a relationship. And at the same time, it's more than just my story, boring, same old me again. <laughs> And that's when I thought, okay, let me do a mixture of content I create and content others create where I proactively invite them, but then really give them a free reign. So as long as it adds value to the MPT community, you decide on the format, on long narratives, more personal, rather easy to share tips, life hacks. That's really up to whoever I invite as a guest blogger then or on the podcast. And that's how it came about in 2017. I think by now we have 270, 280 articles on the blog, which I think is quite good. Most of them in English, some of them in German. Um, We have 40 episodes on the English version of the podcast and 13 or 14 on the German one. So it's slowly evolving, but I still run it as a pet project on the side. I mean, it's a I don't really want to turn it into a business business because, sorry, I'm not too keen on social media. And I think to actually be active and successful, you have to be on all the platforms. And I, I have a real life <laughs> and I want to keep my real life. And I want to keep it to this creating content, valuable content. And I think you can do that with yeah a bit on the side. I think it would be nice if I would have one day per week to just commit to it fully. Mm-hmm. But that's about how I want to keep it. Well, speaking of resources, what do you think is missing for amputees? I think it depends a bit on which area you look at. Obviously, there's a big difference between 
global south, global north, mm. um, without being too general here. But I mean, we're, we're quite spoiled in the global north. No matter if we look at the medical aspect of support for amputees, no matter if we look at the psychosocial and physiotherapy aspect of it, um, or if we look at the whole adaptive equipment, charities, events. And I think we're quite spoiled in the north. But if I concentrate on the global north, where I think I can speak more generally than on, I don't know, my way around the global south, so not much. I think there's a big difference between the English-speaking world and Germany or France or other countries, partly having to do with uh, the level of being involved in violent conflict around the world. I think, obviously, if you have been involved with your army in lots of wars, you have lots of people who have gone through traumatic amputations, very often young people who used to be very active, who have their medical rehabilitation, and once they come to terms with their loss, normally they want to be active again. And... In America or in the US, in Canada, in Great Britain and in some other countries, I think the support for uh, veterans is quite good. In terms of medical support, as well as in charities and events, if you take uh, the Invictus Games, if you take uh, Help for Heroes, if you take other charities which are closely associated with veterans and with their network, and sometimes with official support from the military or charities which came out of military environment. That's different in Germany, that's different in France, and I think so we have much better support options to try out something new in the US and the UK. Germany is quite, I think, not that far at the moment. So I think there's still much more to be done here in Germany. <laughs> uh, at the same time, we can learn a lot from the UK and from the US. And I think that's where I would like to focus in the next couple of years. In the United States, we have a tremendous amount of people having amputations daily due to diabetes, vascular disease. So it's interesting to educate on on the health and well-being and trying to avoid that if yeah. possible. Yeah. I mean, I don't know the numbers in Germany, I must, must admit, but I think also uh, in Germany, probably the main causes are diabetes, other similar diseases. I think then with the younger group, it's very often, I think, motorcycle and other accidents Trauma. and uh, probably cancer related. Mm -hmm. um, I think these are probably the three groups and obviously mm -hmm. some affect everyone in the population more or less the same and some others are more, okay, motorcycles, more the younger ones, the middle age, and then diabetes very often more the older ones. And I think that obviously has implications on the landscape of organizations which offer support. I think we have quite a lot of self-help groups for people with amputations, but very often I think the whole setup and the attractiveness is geared towards the older segment in the population. I know many people who say, oh, I've been to one of these self-help meetings and support groups. And I have the feeling that's for people 50 plus, 55 plus, 60 plus. It's nothing that appeals to me. I heard from some people. They say, no, I want something which is more, more fun, which is more to my normal life, not just being an amputee, but my normal day-to-day -day life. So it has to be something more sporty or more events-based or more in the way things are communicated, more up-to-date. And I think that's where we still have to figure out how to create a landscape which nicely complements what is already there, but is geared I don't think we need something kind of a one-size-fits-all. I think we should be more specific in saying, okay, there's something for this group. Let's look at what does it mean for children and teenagers? What does it mean for people in the family planning and early family development stage? And what does it mean for people who say, oh, kids are out of the house. I'm still active, but I still want to do a few things and want to try out something new. Mm -hmm. And I think there's 
there's music in the game. This might be a strange question, but do you prefer to be called, quote unquote, an amputee or someone with limb loss? Or what is that label? We, we are so keen on not labeling people and letting each person identify as they will. Do you have a preference or... No, I don't really. I have preference of what not to be called. Oh, well, well, and, and that's funny because that's... It, it's completely different if I speak in English or in German. I think I have no problems with the word amputee. I think that's a, a neutral word and I think it covers myself. <laughs> um, and I think in English we have this nice option of limp loss or limp difference. Mm -hmm. There is not really an equivalent in German which doesn't sound completely awkward. So very often in German I use the term amputee also for people who never had an amputation who were born without a limp mm -hmm. because it either otherwise you use a very medical term for it which other people don't understand if they're not from that community and the option of I quite like limp difference because I think it's a nice term which covers a lot and in Germany saying yeah Gliedmaßendifferenzen in German it just sounds completely awkward similar with I have nothing against the term disabled, referring to myself. And also in Germany, I don't think behindert is a bad term. Although in Germany, very often, especially among young people, is used as in a derogative way. So I actually very often use it in terms to put it more mainstream, to use it in day-to-day -day word. I like politically correct, and I know about the power of language, and I'm quite aware of it, also with our history. And there's quite a lot of how did we use language to many manipulate people back in the 30s and 40s but also recently and at the same time this over politically correct terms not to offend anyone and by that telling people like me on how I have to call myself that's when I get a bit pissed I must say <laughs> well in German I, I was using the term behindert towards myself which means said well I'm disabled and someone who is not from the disabled community told me, oh no, sorry, that's a bad term or that's not politically correct. You should call yourself in a way someone with diff uh, differently abled. And I said, sorry, don't tell me how I have to use terms which refer to myself. Mm. I would like that we don't concentrate so much on the term. And I know there's power in, in terminology. I would like that people concentrate more on the concepts behind it and what does it actually mean to open up more gates, break down barriers for people with disabilities and not so much have these waste energy on terminology but not actually tackle the real barriers in society. I'd much rather talk with someone, how do we get a bloody ramp at a train station? Mm -hmm. <laughs> Instead of saying, well, now the ramp, how should the ramp be called? Should it be called the ramp for people with disabilities or with differently abled people or for people which might have a problem with their limbs? I said, get the ramp built and don't worry about the rest. Right, don't <laughs> let that be a hindrance yeah. to progression Yeah. for anyone. Yeah, and I know some other people see that completely different and that's perfectly fine. But also this discussion, I think, is helpful. Let's say, well, how about people just use the term they want to, and especially if it's for themselves. I mean, it's obviously different. You have the feeling where well, there's, again, one politically powerful group, which means they can decide how this segment of society or the segment of society should be referred to. I know there's power in there, but for me, that's nothing I'm too interested in, I must say. <laughs> 
what do you think brands or tech companies get wrong about its end users? I think and this is not just about tech companies. It's also, if I look at myself, my own experience, I think we work a lot of on untested assumptions. Uh, just as an example, when I'm, I'm in the educational business, I work in international development aid. I thought, let's offer online training courses. And I was just from my 20 odd years of experience thinking oh, from my face-to-face -face training courses, I know people have these and these and these needs. So let me build on this experience. Let me build an online training offer. And so I was working on assumptions that people would like something which is really long and heavy and giving them lots of training opportunities and then I can charge them a lot, which was completely missing the point. People don't want a lot of video and audio reading material so that they can learn a lot. That's just the way to learn something. They want to learn something with minimum effort. Mm. So if I can give them the, the same learning experience in half the time, that's much more attractive. They would be much more willing to pay a high price for a short but really good training experience if it answers their questions or challenges. And so untested assumptions. I thought, they want a lot. They want something big. They want something with hours of video. Mm -hmm. And I think the same is with companies, especially when we say, how do companies with little experience in working with people with limb differences or other disabilities, I think they work a lot on assumptions or on how we portray ourselves and how we are portrayed on social media, which is very polished. And there's real engagement of saying, okay, we would like to offer additional services, products, more inclusive uh, approaches to our products, to our services. What would you demand from us? How do you think we should engage with you? And really having this as much as possible on eye level and not shying away from difficult conversations. Because it's so nice to say, oh, we want to be all inclusive, all the same, but you shy away from the real discussions, especially in the beginning when you haven't built trust. And I think mm. that's where I think is the beauty of having the chance that people and movies and the entertainment sector and politics is more aware of it. Sure. And at the same time, I have the feeling it's a bit of a trend at the moment. There's kind of, yeah, let's, let's compete for the sexy, the good-looking, the, the young, the active, disabled people, but probably not the others. So companies like Click Medical, how might we engage in a more authentic way with its end users? I think um, getting people on board early in the research and development phase. Mm -hmm. So not just when you say, okay, we're working on something and we developed something and here's more or less the final product and now we're looking for people who test it. And I know that is part of the game, but I think getting people on board early Getting a wide section of society where I say, okay, if I look at yours, you're probably more geared on the one hand towards active people who say, you know, I want to ride a bike, I want to climb up a mountain, I want to do whatever. And that's where people say, yeah, I really want to be able to tweak my socket. But at the same time, also looking, well, for us also, as you said, people with diabetes who have a lot of problems in getting sockets right, especially mm -hmm. with their different medical conditions, I think they're being in discussions early on and really inviting also critical feedback mm -hmm. where people can speak their mind openly without thinking they offend you or mm -hmm. that it's inappropriate. So I think that's one. On the other hand, then also for me, any product development needs to be always ongoing. 
and not when you say, okay, now it's on the market and now we can done, right? Done. Yeah. Now it's about marketing and sales, but keeping this discussion open, uh, even if it means yes, your assumptions are all validated. Mm -hmm. So, oh yeah, we were right, which is great, but still keep this discussion open and maybe sometimes really be your own devil's advocate. Say, yes, we know it's a good product, but if you could make it better, mm -hmm. what would it be? And I don't mean pie in the sky dreaming, but something okay. Now, if we take that to the next step, what would different groups really ask for? And not, again, assuming, but engaging in discussions. And last but not least, I think, using your advantage of being a small company. You can make quick decisions. You can reach out. You can be unconventional. You can, you can be proactive without having to go through a big bureaucracy like a big administration and just saying, Let, let's do things outside of the rule books. Yeah. That, that's how I would go about it. It's your company, it's not mine. <laughs> <laughs> right, but it empowers users and it's important because I am not a user of the technology and I've never, it's, it's a little strange to work so closely with a product that you can't actually use yourself. Yeah. So yeah. you depend on that outward reach and communication and getting to know your audience as well as you can. So here's a question. If you have a practitioner that says no to what you want, what do you recommend doing? If they say, technician say says, hey, I, I want this knee or I want adjustability in this or I want this foot, what is your recommendation for working around that? Let me speak from my German experience first, because, I mean, obviously this depends a lot on, obviously, the health system you are in. And I know there's some countries where it's just, well, you're assigned to one orthopedic hub, and if you don't use it, you're out of the system. So, I mean, obviously that puts certain limitations on it. But in Germany, we're quite spoiled. We have a choice. Uh, if I'm willing to travel further away, I could also say, well, I know of a good orthopedic technician in Hamburg, which from where I live is by train six or seven hours. I could go there. Here we have quite a lot of choice. I think the relationship between an amputee and an orthopedic technician is almost an, an intimate relationship. I think you have to trust each other. You need to be able to also point out things which don't work. And that obviously always has cost implications for your technician. But also in terms of, I mean, it's, it's, it's a physical job. This person needs to be all over you with his or her hands. And if you want a well-fitting socket, you need to be able to trust this person that he or she really touches you, has his hands wherever you normally don't want anyone's hands. <laughs> And I think it's really important to have this relationship right and to proactively say what you want and how you want it done and what is not acceptable, so to speak. But also that the technician lets you know, okay, for this process, it means you will get slapped in wet plaster and we need to push towards your bum and we need to touch, I don't know, the amputation wounds. And I mean, it's, it's something where transparency is key, I think, and being proactive about what's happening. But then also, if that person doesn't do what you want, if it's medically possible, I mean, I don't say, well, I want a miracle, and if you don't provide, I'll change. I think go and look for another one. Don't be stuck in a relationship there where you think the chemistry is not right, I have the feeling I'm not respected in my wishes, in my requests, and I have the feeling they're not putting in the time and the passion and, and this, the craftsmanship. 
go for another one. I mean, this is your life quality. If the socket doesn't fit, even the best prosthesis is, is worth nothing. Mm -hmm. Would you interview, uh, as a new amputee, maybe one of the suggestions would be to interview several different practitioners or, or, or you know, prosthetists and see which one fits better with you? Or a lot of, a lot of people just get directed, hey, go exactly. to this clinic and that's it. And they think that that's their only choice or... Yeah. I think obviously it's much harder to make these decisions because once you commit and once someone gave you an offer on what a new socket or new whole setup would be and you hand it over to your insurance very often then you're stuck with that very process for the next one or two or three years. Um, so I think it's really important to make informed decisions before and I know as a new amputee that is almost impossible. In the beginning, you have so many things on your mind, and that might be from can I still support my family financially to emotional issues to whatever. But assuming you're in a position where you can inform yourself, and as I said earlier, I'm very skeptical of social media, but reach out to others who are maybe in your area and say, I'm looking for an experienced prosthetist. That doesn't mean that you click personally, mm -hmm. but that you know technically speaking, this person is good, puts in the time, has the passion for the job, and is willing to go the extra mile if needed. And then really book an appointment without yet committing. Chat with a person. Have the feeling if you warm up and say, well, how about I expect this and this? Or can you talk me through the process? Can you say, if I, do you have more hands-off or hands-on approach? Are you more experienced in upper limb or lower limb uh, prosthetic development? I know this is asking a lot, but I think it's worth it. Do you, do you think that this is accurate? Advocate, ask, adjust. Of course, I'm adding the adjust because I am all about adjustability, <laughs> but advocating for yourself, asking your practitioner, and adjust for fit and comfort. Yes, 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 full stop. So now I'm just thinking. <laughs> um, I think it really depends where in that journey you are. I mean, obviously, after 15 years and having worked with a lot of prosthetists and having really good relationship with people from big companies like Otto Bock, people from smaller companies like you, people who have been in the sector for 50 years, people who just learn the trade now. I think I'm quite well informed and I know that's not the standard. I also know in the beginning, the first six months, you're, you're completely out of your depth. And you, I think then it would be ask, 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 then a long term, nothing. <laughs> then ask again and advocate for yourself. And then comes all the rest. Mm. But I think once you get used to it, once you kind of started accepting, okay, this is my life now and I'm responsible for it, I think, yes, be very clear what you want from your life. And really, and that's also how I made the decision about my amputation. I went to a lot of orthopedic surgeons and said, please, before you start talking, listen to me. This is how I see my life three years from now. And everything you say has to be geared towards what I want my life to be three years down the line. And 80% of the surgeons weren't listening. They were then just giving me the off-the-shelf advice. And I think it's the same with the prosthetic device. I mean, obviously, a prosthetist has a good idea on what the standard patient wants. Wants to be active during the day-to-day -day life, being able to be a family person, earning money, whatever. But sometimes you have different ideas. Or you say, no, I'm, I'd rather want something which is less comfort, better fit in terms of being active. Or more comfort, I don't need to be that active. Or... I'm sitting a lot during the day. I need to be sure it doesn't affect my back too much. And, and I think being clear about that, the more a prosthetist knows about how you see your life, how you live your life, how you want to live your life, 
the better he or she can tell you that's how I would go about it. These are the options we have. This is where we have to compromise and we can't have both, but we can have both to a certain degree. And I think here again, talk, listen, ask, talk, listen, ask, and ask your prosthetist to ask you, <laughs> to talk to you, and to listen to you. That's great advice. Any last pieces of advice uh, for getting the best fit possible from your device? Yes, I think um, know of yourself when you think, okay, today is a day when I just have to bite it and it will not be perfect, but it will be okay. And otherwise, don't be satisfied with a non-fitting socket. And I think that can mean a lot of things. Very often it means being more creative about what ways do you have to improve the general fitting of a socket, even if it's a stiff socket. And here, that can be pretty cumbersome also for your prosthetist mm -hmm. because trying, redoing, trying, redoing, trying, redoing. So don't be satisfied too early. None of the sockets I ever had, even the best one, were ideal on each and every day for everything. And I think that's when you have to be creative. And I think it's great that products like your adjustability system can help us amputees to adjust from one second to the next according to our needs, to our interests and to what we're doing. But I think in addition to that, also play around with other things. And very often, the perfect socket in all conditions means different things from day to day. And it's not a stiff socket or liner or skin-on suction or uh, different panels. Very often, it means all of that in different combinations each day. And I think the more your socket is prepared to incorporate that, so if it means it has adjustable panels, if it means, yes, maybe you have other parts where you can add padding or take padding away yourself without constantly going back. I think that's where you, you learn by doing. And the more tools, gadgets, gear is already integrated in the Sotic so they can use it and play around. And that means maybe on the first socket it's not yet ideal, but you learn from it. And the next time, a year later, when you build a new socket, you know, or now... I think I know much better where, okay, these adjustable sockets have to go a bit different. Or now I know the dial for adjusting should actually be in a slightly different position. Or now I might try something with a pin system or with something different. And I think it's really important to also listen to what your body tells you about what works and what doesn't. And be clear about with yourself, which price are you willing to pay for the additional level of activity. And that might not always be pain-free. <laughs> Right. But that's it for me. I think it's, it's this <laughs> lots of different things combining them and making sure your technician knows about what's out there on the market and offers it to you proactively and you then test what works for you and what doesn't. Sure. And the whole equation of knowing your insurance and what it's, Ooh. yeah, that's a whole, that's for sure another show. But yeah. Bjorn, thank you so much. I've really enjoyed getting to know you um, via Zoom. And now in person, here we are in Germany together. And it's been, it's been fascinating. And I can't wait to spend more time with you in the future. We will. We will. Thank you very much, Jen. That was um, unexpected, but a real pleasure. Yeah. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed the show. Make sure to hit the subscribe button so you don't miss any of the new episodes. 
And I would really appreciate it if you leave me a rating on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you want to learn more about The Active Amputee, make sure to head over to www.theactiveamputee.org where you find hundreds of articles from amputees for amputees. Articles filled with inspiration, information and encouragement to be active and live a rewarding life. I see you all again for the next episode. Until then, all the best. This is Bjorn from The Active Amputee.